Revelation. We're going to start with Revelation, and I'm going to skip in the first chapter. I'm going to do verse 11, uh, verse 8, then 11, and then 15, maybe 14. So, is it okay if I sing? Is that, that was my kind of uh, impersonation of Johnny Cash well ago. He's one of my uh, easiest. Did it sound a little like him? Yeah? Okay, well, I'm going to try it again here. It goes like this. Okay. I almost forgot the intro. There's an intro. And I heard, as it were, a noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, Come and see. And I saw. And behold, a white horse. There's a man going round, taking names. And he'll decide who to free and who to blame. Everybody won't be treated all the same. There'll be a golden ladder reaching down when the man comes around. The hairs on your arm will stand up. At the terror in each sip and each sup. Will you partake of that last offered cup? Or disappear into the potter's ground? When the man comes around. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers. One hundred million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born or some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. The virgins are all trimming their wicks. And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers, 100 million angels singing. Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drums. Voices calling, voices crying. Some are born and some are dying. It's Alpha and Omega, kingdom come. Amen. That um, there's a little more to that, but it, it's not on the page that I got up on my little computer here, so uh, I didn't do those. Amen. Hallelujah. God is good. Mm. I'm sorry, before, be ready to put up this one before we go to the other one, okay? Uh, we're going to look at uh, Revelation 4.11 in a minute. <clears throat> I want to talk to you more about uh, a word that's in one of my favorite verses. By now, you may nearly all know it by heart. And it's uh, taken from 2 Timothy 1.9. This is how God saved us and called us uh, with a holy calling. Uh, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. What an amazing verse of scripture. I think all those verses that says what God did before the world began is pretty uh, if, if, no, no matter how many times you've read it or meditated or thought about it it just just for me it just blows my mind and um, but that word purpose uh, is very word remember the book that uh, well, I'm a blank on it I didn't mean to bring it up the Purpose Driven Life. What's his name? Rick Warren. Rick Warren. 
I actually have not read that book. And I am uh, sorrowful that I, I haven't because I, I only can comment on it because I've heard so many comments about it. So I don't know firsthand, I've read it, that the comments that I read, that I present to you, are uh, actually true. You know, I've seen some testimonies of people that have read that book. And I, like I said, I wasn't really intentionally going to talk about it, but in my mind, what I saw and heard, and I'm, I, I don't want you to think I'm putting the book down, because I really don't, if, if I'm, it sounds like I'm doing it, uh, I'm not. I don't want to. Okay. But I thought that it was kind of like what I had talked about last week. Uh, I brought up Dr. J, who's one of my favorite athletes, and I love, love boy, if he, if he was going to be around and be the speaker, I'd be there. Speaking of, we're going to have, a, in two weeks, we're going to have a, an apostle come to speak to us. And uh, he not only is a great teacher and preacher, and an apostle, but he also is a great singer, and he's going to sing some songs for us as well. Uh, so, um, Rick Menard, Rick Menard is his name, Apostle Rick Menard. So, don't miss that. When pur- purpose-driven life seems to me that, from the testimonies, that the people drew a purpose from God and were, like I said, my friend Dr. J, not my friend, my, I admire him. Um, one of the things Dr. J said, which has challenged me when I was younger, much, much younger, was his two goals in playing basketball was number one, uh, lose and not cry about it. Number two, win and not brag about it. <laughs> Pretty, it's kind of hard, you know. Um, I, as a matter of fact, somebody, how many of you remember Apostle Floyd Baker? Well, oh, okay, well, you know, his son still, his, his brother still lives around here. He's a good friend of mine. His brother's name is Cecil. And he bought me a T-shirt. It's for Bridge, and it has all the Bridge, you know, hearts, spades, diamonds. And it says, winning isn't everything. There's also gloating and rubbing their faces in it. <laughs> Just for the fun of it, I might wear that to church sometime to show you, show you this T-shirt. And you get a good laugh out of it, you know. So, but... Uh, that is something that we uh, tend to do, isn't it? Yes. But anyway, I'm, it's, it's my opinion that this word, this uh, book, kind of uh, the infer- inference from the testimonies I've seen and heard, and you, if you've read the book, please come up and tell me about it. Tell me where I'm off. Is that it's more like finding purpose in this life to live by, devoted to God. Am I right? Is that, is that pretty close? And that's a good thing. You know, like for the scripture that set talks about how uh, in, they, in those days when the scriptures were written, they had slaves. You know, most of them were like indentured slaves, you know which means that they became slaves because they owed the, the people money and you ended up working it off as a slave. Uh, but they had real slaves. And then it says, in, let, your, let the slaves uh, be, serve their masters, or this would also apply to their bosses if they, have, if they had bosses, you know. Serve them not with eye service. In other words, don't serve them to please them, but instead serve it as with the goodwill serving the Lord. You see, serve other people 
And even in First Peter, and it says that, Paul said it, Peter said it. Paul said, uh, Peter said, uh, if we serve good masters and we, you know, do our jobs well, that's all right, that's all right, but it's no big deal. But if we serve the forward, it says in King James, the, the, the bad ones, the nasty ones, the, the, the ones that are really hard. But if we serve them as unto the Lord, that is goodwill doing service that is well-pleasing to him. So that's good. Those are things are good. But in this particular verse in first in second uh, Timothy one nine, it says saved us called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was given to us before the world began. And you notice the difference there. He says, his purpose. So there's, there's a lot in the scripture about du- you know, directing our purpose in life to God, but there's, a, there's something that we, what he calls his purpose. And that has to do with being God being God and God being our creator. Remember I was talking about uh, a Ravi Zacharias tape where he talked about basically the four religions are looking for origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. You remember that? Origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And that's what we should have in our belief in God. Origin. He is our creator. Not we ourselves, it's in the Psalms. He is our maker. Uh, We are his sheep. Now, uh, put up that, well, yeah, put up Revelation 4.11. If you are... Old, old enough in the Lord, you know this scripture already. Because we used to sing it a lot when we sung courses back in those, those ancient days. You know, I, 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 I kid around a lot. At the VA, they want your last four, your Social Security. And I, I'll kid around and say, I can't give you the last four. My whole Social Security is only 274. I'm glad somebody laughed. <laughs> that means I'm really old to have a so you know. When the Social Security numbers come out in FDR, and then they brought, then that went, didn't he start Social Security? And so the, they had, the first one was one, and then the second one two, and two. I got 274, it means I'm old. I'm nowhere near that old, really. But back in the day, when we used to sing these courses, and it said, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things. And for Thy pleasure, they are and were created. You see, that's origin. God is our maker and creator. And for what? For glory, to give glory to him and honor and power. That is why God made us. Remember this song? Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy. Thou art worthy, O Lord. To receive glory, glory and honor, glory and honor and power. For thou hast created, hast all things created. Thou hast created all things. And for thy pleasure they are created. Thou art worthy, O Lord. Now this word purpose in Second Timothy 1.9. Now we're going to go to 
chapter 1 next, okay? The verses I told you, 8, 11, and then 14 down. This word purpose, first of all, it says his purpose. The word purpose alone, though, is enough because the word purpose is the Greek word prothesis. And most of the time when you see thesis or theo at the end, it's talking about God. Theo, that's another name for God. That's why we say that in worshiping a theocracy, God, theo. And so thesis in pro means for, for God. That means your life is for God. You give your life to God. God gave his life for you. What a trade. And I do. I, I say this with all the possible love you can imagine, but I sometimes, and I say it with great honesty, God's insane. He's just absolutely insane. But I sure love him for it. Because he made his son to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's 2 Corinthians 5.21. That's, that's another one of those... May he made his son... You know, uh, I've even... When I've preached on this, not even using that particular verse per se, I've had people... Challenge me on this. And when I say challenge, I'm being pretty nice. Rebuking me is the right word. For how dare me think that God could be sin. Jesus is God. The, God the Son. If you're a Trinitarian, that's what you believe. Amen? Okay. God the Son was made sin. With my sin. Your sin. God the Son was made sin. Who knew no sin? So he was without sin in his own life, but he was made to be sin. Wow. That's incredible. It's called the great exchange. He got my sin, I get his righteousness. That I might be made the righteousness of God in him. Wow. And then there are several places that talk about the wrath of God being satisfied. Okay? And that's in that, in that one song that I tell you, uh, I've, I've, I'm working on this and I'm getting pretty good at it. I, I divorce myself from the verse of scripture in one song because otherwise I kind of lose it. All right? What I mean by divorce is I just pull away from it and divorce myself of the emotional reaction to it. And then one song where it says, in uh, uh, Christ alone, we, we sing that song. Uh, the one verse that says, the wrath of God was satisfied. Well, you know why the wrath of God was satisfied? Because Adam's sin. First of all, I believe that Adam's sin is only, only a continuation of Lucifer's. Because Lucifer's the one that tempts, uh, tempts him. So what he did in heaven, and we're going to look at something in a minute, uh, in a minute about that. But what he did in heaven, rebelling against God and then being cast out, and then drawing Adam and Eve into the same thing. Adam, Lucifer's sin was he thought he was equal with God. And what does he tempt Adam and Eve with? Well, with Eve, don't he, he says, if you eat this fruit, you shall be equal with God. Now, it doesn't say you'll be greater than God. It says you'll be equal with him. And so that's a continuation. And then man, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned in Adam. That is a blanket doctrine for Christians all have sinned in Adam. Your whole chapter is devoted by in, uh, uh, Romans 5. With, we, and then we are crucified with Christ. The, our old man, 
Adam was crucified in Christ. And so we were all in Adam and we were all sinners. And that sin was great treason. And because it's a continuation of Lucifer's sin, there is a great deal of anger from God over us being in Adam and great treason, the great treason. God was angry with us. And you know what he did? He poured all that anger. And you know, I, I, I was with the elders Wednesday night and I, I, I guess it was kind of an eye-opener for me with our elders because I said, uh, I used to smoke cigarettes. Now if anybody in here smokes cigarettes, um, it, that won't send you to hell. Just make like, sm- make like you s- smell like you were there. Anyway, uh, if you smoke, listen, I used to smoke. And uh, I smoked a lot. And I asked the elders, and you know nobody used to smoke in our eldership? I'm like, what? Well, no wonder. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like, uh, and smoking wasn't even the bad part of my life. <laughs> you know, that'd be the least of my sins if you wanted to, if you could measure them. And I, man, I was, I, I, like Mike Warnke says, the Christian comedian, he says, I was not only going to hell, I was digging the hole trying to get there as fast as I could. You know. And I was too. And so I, and I could go over something, but God was angry with me. Really angry. We're going to look at a couple of chapters here and we won't, uh, and we're going to go to some chapters in Hebrew. And there's one in Hebrews that says, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. God was angry with man and with me. And I don't care if you didn't smoke or any drugs, drinking or any of those things. I don't care. He was angry with you. Angry. And yet he poured his wrath out on his son. Seriously? What kind of a God do we love? He's insane. By any earthly standard. But God is wonderful. That is just incredible. That's why I say, personally, don't have any proof of this. But I believe all the angels in heaven was afraid this wasn't going to work. Not afraid that we weren't going to be set free. They didn't afraid the Godhead could sustain it. You know, everybody, have you ever heard the, th- the, the number of things that God can't do? One of them is sin. God can't sin. Okay? One of them is lie. He can't lie. You know? He says if he lies, the end of the universe is coming. And I believe that's what they thought when they knew that the Father was going to make his son sin. Make it didn't say make him cover sin, which he did. Didn't make him say, you know, his life was laid down for our sin, which it was. Said he was made sin. Wow. Now we get to that word, his purpose for God. His purpose. His purpose in our life is he is worthy. He is our creator. He is worthy. This is why Jesus died. Jesus died. Now I'm, I'm totally convinced. Think about this. When, when Jesus made Lucifer, you can look in Ezekiel again, verse tw- in chapter 28. It goes to great, long detail about how beautiful he was made. 
all these jewels and things. And maybe it wasn't, it was a spiritual thing. So maybe the jewels are only something that we can identify with. But it was something where Lucifer was just the most beautiful creation that God had ever done. And why did he do it? Because he's worthy of praise and honor and glory. And it was to his praise, to his glory, for his glory. He wanted to show Lucifer off, just like King Ahasuerus wanted Vashti to come. He wanted to show her beauty off. And when she didn't come, she was banished. And that's why God called for Lucifer to come. And he wanted to show Lucifer off his creation, the crown of his creation. And Lucifer was found. It says he was perfect. But then there was iniquity found in him. Sin found in him. So he was banished. Uh, And he, he was so convincing, there was a third of the angels that followed him. And that's what Jesus says when the disciples came back and said, boy, even the demons obeyed us. So I saw Lucifer fall from heaven. And I've, I've reevaluated my thinking in that. You know, I thought that he was there when Lucifer was kicked out. How many of you know he was? You agree with that? And so I thought that's what he meant. Instead of, I just now saw Lucifer fall. You know what I think now? I think it was both. And I'll show you in a minute. He says, and this is, uh, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, and we're, these, all, these are all going to be the red letters in chapter 1. Uh, I'd love to go with the old chapter, but we'll just do this. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. You know, this is why I sing that song I just sang by Johnny Cash. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And those are all terms that God are, is putting into words which we understand that he doesn't really live in that dimension because it's all the same, which was and is and is to come, is all the same. You know, God doesn't operate in time. All right, next verse that I said, verse 11 saying this again, red letter, saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Uh, What thou see, write in a book, and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, and Ephesus, and Smyrna, and Pergamos, and to Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Those are all seven churches that are in Turkey today. Well, that's where they were at that time, and, and it's Turkey today, but the seven churches. And just for your information, he was exiled to the island of Patmos. And the Isle of Patmos is almost within seeing distance of the land, which is right there where Ephesus is, just for your in the Mediterranean. All right, now go to the next verse. Four, 14. His head and his hairs were like, well, this is talking about Christ. White as snow, and his eyes were as flame of fire. Keep going. And his feet was like brass. And if they, excuse, that burned in a furnace. And his voice was as the sound of many waters. And he had the right, in his right hand, seven stars. And out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when... And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid at his, and I, excuse me, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and death. All right, uh, we're going to go to uh, Revelation. The 11th chapter. How many of you in here have studied any kind of eschatology whatsoever? Just a few of you. Do you know what 
pre-tribulation rapture means. Okay? It means that we are going to be raptured. And the word rapture comes from a Latin word which means caught up in the air. Rapos, raptos or something like that. Rapios. And uh, that is one of the most prevalent beliefs in evangelical circles. Not everybody. A lot of people believe it. You know, some people believe in pre-tribulation. Tribulation referring to the seven-year tribulation period. Some people actually believe that actually has already came to pass, by the way. They're a millennialist. Uh, There's mid-tribulation rapture, and there's post, and I could go into pretty much teaching all three, including the millennial belief. I, one of the beliefs as far as pre-tribulation rapture is the first few chapters that are in Revelation are talking to the church. And then they say things that you don't ever hear the church mentioned after that. And the answer is because it is been, it has been raptured. (laughs) So you've raptured, and the rest of it is all about the tribulation period. Well, um, I want you to know that there's a lot of evidence in Scripture Especially if you, and I'm not going to go into it, I really would like to, Daniel's 69th and 70th week that he refers to in the ninth chapter of Daniel. But I can tell you there's a great deal of evidence that could show that uh, pre-tribulation rapture is very, very, uh, a very solid doctrine. But so are the others. (laughs) <laughs> there's a great deal of evidence on both, all of them. And so I, I just personally, uh, you know, Bob Mumford, my, my favorite teacher, says uh, very simply this, he's a pan-millennialist. He thinks everything's going to pan out all right. <laughs> like he would say, if, if, it's a, if there's a pre-tribulation rapture, he says, I'm going. <laughs> I'm not going to say, no, no, Lord, don't take me, I didn't believe that. If it's mid, I'll survive. If it's post, I, he'll give me the courage to get through the rapture. But I've been studying Revelation, and I, I go into the last part, which some, some, not all pre-tribulation rapture, really, believe that it doesn't apply to us. I think even if you're pre-tribulation rapture, it not only can, but does apply to us. Because I believe that we're involved in it, even if I, and I, I, remember, I'm a pan-millennialist, okay? At one time, I was pre-tribulation rapture. The evidence is still very strong. I've just decided after studying it all, I'm just going to be a pan-millennialist. So I'm, everything's going to pan out all right. But I see something that's happening in Revelation, uh, the end of the chapter, I mean, throughout the book, and we're going to be involved even if we are raptured. All right? So, first of all, I want to go to the 11th chapter, and I want to start with, I didn't write it down, so I'll just go with it, the 15th verse. We'll just start there. That that should work. Uh, This is actually, this, this is one... I, I could start with, let's go to the 14th just to read that because we're going to say, he's going into some woes here. And he starts this place right here. Uh, and I'm not trying to take things out of context. As a matter of fact, I think people do take a lot of things in Revelation out of context. Doesn't mean it isn't true and, doesn't, and it doesn't work. It does. There are the verses. And we're going to see some verses that We've heard people teach on many, many times. 
that basically it, they were out of context, but they were still true. All right, now I'll show you what I mean. These are the woes that are going on. And it comes to the, the second woe is past. And behold, the third woe, woe comes quickly. It says, and the seventh angel sounded. And there was great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord. How many of you remember singing that song? The kingdoms of this world has become the kingdoms of our Lord. And of his Christ. And he shall reign, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah, hallelujah. What's wrong with you guys? Are you, are you really that? Yes, well, you're supposed to stand up when I start that hallelujah. That's what it, that's what the, that's what what they, what they did. It's called the Hallelujah course. You got to pop up on your feet. Ah, I knew you wouldn't. I wouldn't have. I definitely wouldn't have if I was you. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God and on their seats fell to their faces and worshipped God, saying, "We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come." Well, you're a lot in the Bible, aren't you, Art? Because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Saying, next verse, thank you. And the nations were angry, and thy wrath is is come. Now, here's the thing. God poured out his wrath on his son, but those that reject it have wrath to come. And remember I told you that right in, uh, in, in, in the Hebrews where, we, where it talks about some of these things in Hebrews uh, that we're, that we're going to see here. In Hebrews it says it's a fearful thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. So he poured out his wrath, but if you reject it, then it's coming. All right? And it says... That they should be judged, and thou shouldest give reward unto thy servants, the prophets, and to the saints, and them that fear thy name, small and great, and should destroy them that destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened. Now, we could talk about nearly every word in this last few senses, but let's just forget them for a minute, okay? And the temple of God was opened in heaven. And there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Testament. What's another way of saying it? The Ark of the, the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant. Now notice here that there's this incredible commotion and celebration going on all around here. You know, four and twenty elders laying at the feet. All these things are going on. Big, big stuff. Celebration. Hallelujah. And it says, and the temple was open in heaven, and there was seen in the temple the ark of the testimony. Now, if you, if, when we're going to study this in Revelation, excuse me, in Hebrews 8, it talks about how the tabernacle of Moses was built by Moses after a pattern that he was given of a tabernacle that is in heaven. Which is the true tabernacle. Now, we'll look at this uh, another time. Which is the true tabernacle. But it says, but this one, the one that is heaven, it's a tent. And it says it was pitched. You know what pitched means? You know, put the stakes and everything and put the tent down and everything. It was pitched by God himself. So what it says. And it says this, in the temple of God, all right, and it, or the tabernacle, or the temple, whatever you want to call it, the house of God, there was seen in his temple the Ark of the Covenant. So the Ark of the Covenant, by the way, you know how in Google you, you Google some things, and then they'll say you might be interested in this, and you might be interested in that. And most of my things have to do with, uh, you know, uh, Christian things. And they'll say, you might be, and this, this one, uh, one of the things that I Googled one time was, has the Ark of the Covenant been found? 
If you know anything about these things, you know that some people believe that it is in Turkey right now. And there's this great big fence all around it and the guards walking around it all the time. And nobody knows what's inside the building. And there is a very strong suspicion that the Ark of the Covenant is in that building. Well, I googled something about the Ark of the Covenant. And which this is true or not, I don't know. But it's pretty amazing. <clears throat> the guy that got the Ark of the Covenant that, that, that was teaching this said... He knows an archaeologist, and he named the archaeologist, and he says, this is the most uh, sound archaeologist. He is the most reliable. Uh, I've never known him to even stretch the truth a little bit. And uh, he really knows what he's doing. And his integrity and his uh, reputation is beyond, uh, you know, refute. He says, he says this, that he was, had been searching, just like, you know, Indiana Jones searching for the Ark of the Covenant. You know? He had been searching, and then he got some people that uh, respected him, said, we know in Jerusalem, the leadership, we know where the Ark of the Covenant is. And we have it, and they have had it, that they put it in storage when... Nebuchadnezzar came in and ransacked the temple or, or was it him or, or the, no it was the Roman guy that did it sorry the Roman guy that came in and just leveled everything but he says away from Jerusalem and underneath this mountain uh, that there is in storage he says I can take you where you can see it through a very dark place, and I can show you where it's at, but it, we'd have, it's been next to impossible to really get it. But he says this Ark of the Covenant, what's interesting about that, is exactly under where Golgotha Hill is. And he says what they used to do when they crucified people on Golgotha there was these things that were set in stone in a, in a hole. And when they would make a cross, they would put this slot in it and they would slide these things down into this, uh, these stones. And then the, 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 they would be sturdy. The, the, the crosses would be sturdy. And the Ark of the Covenant is located right beneath where they crucified people above because it was solid stone up on top and then but there would be these cracks and he says that this guy says when Jesus was crucified and the blood would run down and ran down the cross and drip down through the stone it would drip down onto the Ark of the Covenant isn't that incredible and it says in, uh, in Hebrews how the high priest and the priest would give these sacrifices. We're going to look at it in more detail later. But give these sacrifices. And uh, they would take the blood and they would sprinkle it on about everything. Everywhere you could see. They'd sprinkle it on what they called the holy utensils of worship or the holy vessels of worship. One of the things, and, and they would sprinkle it on the Ark of the Covenant itself. And you know what was inside of the Ark of the Covenant. Yes, it was Aaron's, Aaron's rod and the, the golden mice that, that the Philistines sent. And, and of course, it was the Ten Commandments. And so all these utensils, there was the golden censer which would contain the the uh, coals that would burn the incense, which would, when the incense is burning, you just smell it all over the place because the, the fragrance rises to God. And now it's our prayers and our praise that is gold, is incense that ri- rises to God. And so he would sprinkle the high priest. Well, first of all, the chapter, 
chapter 7, which is a pretty nice long chapter in, in Hebrews, is all about one subject. And that is that Jesus is not after the order of Aaron or Levi. He's after the order of Melchizedek, which was and is and is to come. It's, it's no ending. There's no record of his beginning or ending. Abraham offered tithes to Melchizedek. And he says that whole thing. Then he goes into, because we have this high priest in the chapter 8. And then he goes, talks about how the temple, or the, excuse me, the tabernacle, Moses' tabernacle, which they employed the same things in the temple, the holy utensils of worship, the censer and all these vessels that drink, that you drink out of and all these other things. That the temple or the tabernacle that Moses made was patterned after the one that God made in heaven, the true temple. And that there were vessels in the true temple, but the vessels in the true temple, the utensils, the holy utensils, had to be cleansed just like the vessels in the, on earth. But you see, the difference is the vessels on earth had to be regularly cleaned and was not, not uh, efficient or satisfactory. It was just postponing. That's my word, but it's a word. And so what you got is, is all these things had to be the blood of goats and calves sprinkled on these things as the blood of the sacrifice. And it says... That Jesus, having entered into the temple, this temple right here, or the tabernacle that was pitched by God, not by the blood of goats and calves, but his own blood. And he came in with his own blood and he cleansed the holy tensils of worship. First time I was pointed in this direction was about 40 years ago, 44. Three, 42 years ago when I was listening to an Ern Baxter tape how he says that the sin of Adam was such a, a defilement of God to God that his sin went all the way up to the very throne of God. Or another way of looking at it, it says and the temple of God was open in heaven and there was seen the Ark of the Covenant and there were lightnings and voices and thunders and earthquake and great hell. And this great celebration. And what was it all around? What was the center of the celebration? It wasn't God. It was the Ark of the Covenant. The real, true Ark of the Covenant. Well, how, how could I say that? Because God himself said he's magnified his word. Above all his name. So you get the picture here. So when he's talking about all the way up to the throne, he's talking about all the way up to the ark that's in the true tabernacle that is in heaven. And how his blood cleansed from that. And I, this is me talking, but I says, how is that possible that man's sin could, you know, defilement go so far? And it's because this is why I think it is. It's because man's sin was only a continuation of Lucifer's sin. And when Lucifer rebelled in heaven, it contaminated all the way up to the very covenant, Ark of a Covenant. And so, why is that even important? Uh, well, to me, it's important because it shows just how incredibly just one more thing about how wonderful and incredible God is. That God, the creator of the universe, would do this. And then it also shows you how big it is, which is part of the whole story, how incredibly big this is. So when we're talking about purpose... We're talking about something that is incredibly big. Do you understand? His 
purpose for God. It is as big as what he did to get us into a place where we could declare his glory and worship. You get the picture? Get the picture? What he had to do. And I believe it was, it was this, after Lucifer and his sin, I'm, and it says a beautiful, beautiful creation, the most beautiful all creation, every jewel you can imagine, every metal that is so beautiful, all, everything about him was beautiful. It says he was perfect. But iniquity was found in him. And I think that the trouble with Lucifer was because he was so beautiful that he, and that's when, and I think he was like Vashti. God says, come in here, Lucifer, I want to show how great I really am. This is my, he won't come. He won't come. All right, let's go to chapter 12 and we'll end with this. We'll try to get on time today. Chapter 12. And there appeared a great wonder in heaven. Now remember, this big celebration is around what? The Ark of the Covenant. And there appeared a wonder in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet. And upon her head was a crown of twelve stars. Before I go on, uh, some of you have not heard this story, but some of you have. There were a lot of Christians, a lot of pre-tribulation rapture Christians, that believed that this very scripture that I started with was, uh, came to pass uh, recently. What was that, two summers ago? Two summers ago, Rick, we were driving on our way to Albany and I picked up a hitchhiker. And even the picking up the hitchhiker, there were a couple of things that were involved that, that was odd. We picked up this hitchhiker, he gets in my back seat. Where are you going? Where is it? Who was he going? Maine? Yeah, Vermont or Maine or something like that. And so we're driving through and I look in the back seat. He he looks like kind of like he's in climbing, you know, hiking gear and a backpack and everything. And uh but he looks pristine. I mean everything about him was pristine. Kind of oddly pristine. And uh he's right in my middle of my mirror and we're ready to give him the old testimony, you know, ready to share the Lord with him. And we, uh, we didn't get hardly two words out of our mouth. He found out, Rick says, my friend here's a pastor. That's kind of like an open door thing. And so uh, the guy says, do you know about the virgin birth that's about to happen? I knew just that much because we had friends that were into that study. And I'd learned just about that much is all. And he says, the one that is predicted in Revelation, and this is the one he was talking about. All right? And what happened was, is the constellation Virgo, which means virgin, was passing over Israel in just a few days. Uh, from just a couple, when I say a few, a couple of three, maybe four days. And as it passes over Israel, out of the virgin's womb, uh, the Jupiter, which is coming along and in the womb and passes out of the womb in the heavens. And it was like a sign, he said. And he said something else really strange. He says, I'm not so much, and he comes up with this. We were just kind of listening. And he says, I'm not so much interested in Jesus as the Son of God. I'm more interested in him as the Son of Man. That was strange. I mean, he didn't deny that he was the Son of God. He just says, and so he says, this is a sign. 
So when, Susan, I know, we both got home and looked it up, you know, and sure enough, yeah, that's, and it did, it passed over, and this virgin birth took place. If indeed that was what he says, and she being with child, in this particular case, the constellation with Jupiter in the womb, travailing in birth and pain to be delivered. And there appeared another wonder in heaven. Notice, remember where we started with this, the Ark of the Covenant, in the tabernacle or the temple, all right? And behold, a great red dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. And his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven. So we already know that this is talking about Lucifer or Satan, the devil. And it confirms that in a little bit. But we, what, we, what we don't know is in this particular event, is this something that he is referring to John, the beloved, who is taken out and sees this? Is he referring to something that he saw something that has happened? Or is he referring to something that is going to happen? Yes. I believe yes. He was and is and is to come. You see, God is not in a linear thing. He's in a time thing. So this is something that has happened and will happen. And uh, the virgin birth, all right, we're going to know, we're going to find out that it is not likely that it's talking about Jesus in that case. Now, we'll find out real quick. And did cast them to earth, and the dragon stood before the woman. Who would be the woman if it was Jesus? It would be Mary, right? All right? All right? And it says, And the dragon stood before the woman, which was ready to be delivered, for to devour her child as soon as he was born. Well, I think that that we, we see through the virgin birth of Mary, that was true. Because, uh, you know, Herod sent out to kill all the children. And it says, and to his throne. And the child was caught up into his throne. Next verse, please. Oh, this is the next verse. And she brought forth a man-child who was to rule all nations with, all the rod, with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up unto God and to his throne. So we still see that this could be talking about Jesus. And now he's been caught up. And the woman fled into the wilderness. All right, now... This doesn't sound like Mary here, does it? It sounds different. Where she, hath pre- where she hath a place prepared of God, that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three scores de- days. So you'd see here that the woman is not Mary. All right? In this, in this thing. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and the dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not. Neither was there a place found any more in heaven for them. And the great dragon was cast out and the old, that, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceived the whole world. He was cast out into the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now this sounds like something that happened before the foundation of the world, right? Is that something that happened then or, or is going to? You're getting, starting to get this. Yes, okay. And now here's a verse I'm sure you've heard by many speakers, not just me, many speakers as far as spiritual warfare. And I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now is come salvation and, the, and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. Now we know he's definitely talking about Jesus, right? For the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before God day and night. And they overcame him. And who is they? It's the church, okay? Overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. And we'll stop right there with that one. All right. Well, we could go on, but I don't have the time. I'm not in God's 
dimension. I think all this is referring to what was and is and is to come. Now, Pastor Frank McCracken, Sr., and uh, Walter Tchaikovsky, and me, myself, and I, whichever one is appropriate, <laughs> went to a conference in Kingston. There was a family, pastors that were well known there, and I cannot, Simpsons, Simmons, uh, Black Label? Ooh, I, I'd like to have met him. I didn't know Johnny Walker was there. Oh, I, you know, I'll tell you what, I've been to a lot of places where Johnny Walker was. Yeah. Old granddad, too. I don't want old granddad with me a lot. Well, anyway, that wasn't the ones, but they wrote a couple of books, and we even got them booklets and read them and everything. And they had this cover. It was, it was a room bigger than this that was filled with tables with pastors sitting sitting at him. It was a pastor's thing. And he brought this scripture up, the, the lead scripture. And he actually said that the uh, child that is born is uh, going to happen. And it, uh, I'll explain, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you just like I see it. And we'll, then we'll let Harry work with this. The woman that gives birth to the child is the bride of Christ. It's going to be making sense in a minute because this is the part it is to come. All right? In figure, we are like the bride, we are like the woman because we are the bride of Christ. This is the only woman that is referred to in this particular fashion. In other words, it doesn't refer, there's no explanation for the woman except this. And this is what they were saying, and it's going to be coming. And this was 40 years ago. It says it's going to be coming. So who is the man-child? The man-child is not a one-person thing. The man-child is going to be a revival. The man-child is going to be a group of Christians and saints that is birthed from the bride. You follow me so far? That the church, which is the bride of Christ, which is once you are betrothed, you're married. Did you know that? You know, once you're the bride, you're, you're, you're married. Why do I know? Because Joseph hadn't, they hadn't had the wedding yet. But when Mary was pregnant with the Holy Spirit, she went to Joseph and he had been warned in a dream not to put her away. What does put her away mean? Divorce her. You see, so in that standard, they were already married. So in that sense, You and I, as the church, we are the bride of Christ. And we're already married to God. There's going to be great celebration in the future. But for us, at some point in time, we as the church are going to get serious about what we believe. And when we get serious about what we believe... There's going to be a birth that comes out of it. And it's going to be the greatest revival that has ever been seen. Now that's what they were saying. And at the end of the thing, Walter, if you remember Walter, Walter used to sing prophecies a lot. Walter Kowski. And he sang quite a long time an affirmation to the message that had been preached. Take it or leave it. All right? But I personally believe, I wasn't so into it when they did it, but I remembered that the church is the one that's going to be pregnant. 
And we are going to give birth to a great revival. And then we are going to be in the wilderness, which the God has prepared for us, a place for us. That's the purpose of God. See, that's his purpose, his holy purpose. How many of you think that makes a little bit of spiritual sense? All right. Well, I'm going to explain a little more of it later. But just think about that blood dripping down on the Ark of the Covenant there. Um, I prefer to believe that that actually was true, what that archaeologist said. I haven't found him again on my search, but I'm looking for him. So, hallelujah. Yes. Oh, yeah. His name was John, but he went by Jonathan. Which is interesting because John is God is good. Jonathan means gift of God. I even asked him, I said, he he says, Jonathan, I said, do you go by John? He says, yes. And I said, did you know that they... And then he said something interesting. He said, uh, when when he got all through talking about all these things, when he left... He left his backpack slightly in the car and he reached and Rick was out of the car by then and he put his knee in and he looked in the mirror and he looked straight into my face and he says, remember me on your journey with the Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. If indeed we are that woman that's going to give birth to a child that's going to proclaim your glory. Lord, uh, I, I for one, am I'm, I'm a reluctant warrior, <laughs> but I, I, I'm ready. I'm ready. I want to be ready to walk in Jerusalem just like John. Hallelujah. May it be so, according to your word, in Jesus' name, amen.